welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not only asked you to agree with me, man, can you hear me out? Let me first start by saying I know nothing about running a team. <laughs> I obviously I'm not an owner. I'm not a billionaire. I don't know the first even thought of running a team. Hell, you can look at my fantasy football. I think I only won fantasy once. And usually I finish in between fourth or last. I, I'm i not good with running a team. I just, I know that about myself. Real or, that's just not me. So the closest thing that I can say to me running the team is running a podcast. Let me, I know people like, excuse me? I know. Let, let me let me bring it around town. Running a podcast. This is all me. From editing to research to putting out clips to the actual scripts or bullet points that I do. This is all me. So technically, I, I'm a one-man band. I run the podcast. And with me running the podcast, there's a certain level of pride that I have with this podcast. And that essentially means that I'm going to do what's best for the podcast when situations, when ideas, when decisions need to be made. You can kind of consider this as my quote unquote baby. I will do what's best for the podcast when the time needs to be, because this is what I own. This is technically mine. So in that sense, of a, when you're the owner of a team, I understand the decision making. I understand the want to to make what's make make what you own make your team the best that it can be i think that's why it was so baffling to me and so head scratching when the news came out that jerry jones was retaining mike mccarthy to be the head coach of the dallas cowboys There's two ways to look at this, and I understand both ways. So one way to look at this situation is, well, Mike McCarthy is one of, if not the winningest coach that the Dallas Cowboys have ever had in the regular season. There is no question that Mike McCarthy is a very successful coach when discussing the regular season. And on top of that, there's no there's no way that you can say that Mike McCarthy isn't a successful coach when you look at just the tenured of his career. I mean, regular season and postseason included, he's 178 and 113 as a record. Oh, and two as a record. So you're obviously that's 61 percent. You win 61 percent of your game. So I, I'm not saying that Mike McCarthy is trash. Please do not hear me say that. Mike McCarthy is one of the best regular season coaches 
in football right now and that football is seen for a while. And when you look at the success of Dallas, Dallas has had success in terms of the regular season with Mike McCarthy. I mean, three straight years, he took them to the playoffs. Three straight years, you've seen kind of an elevation with Dak Prescott. It, it makes sense. And in that case, I understand completely why you would understand and agree with bringing back Mike McCarthy. On top of that, nobody wants to start over. Nobody wants to force themselves into a rebuild. I understand that there are some teams that need to rebuild, but if you don't need to rebuild or you don't feel that you need to rebuild, the last thing you want to do is jumpstart a rebuild that doesn't need to happen. So I understand that in that sense. And when you do something as paramount as firing a coach, not saying that it's going to essentially start a rebuild, but though that is kind of the the first domino to fall in a lot of instances. Firing a coach and usually firing a, a coaching staff means you're, you're, you're getting rid of one regime and bringing another. So it's not always... <laughs> As simple as rebuild or not, but that is kind of like the first domino. And if you're the Dallas Cowboys, I understand that that's not something that you would probably want to do. I get it. I get it. Nothing. And I, I wouldn't. I would feel kind of weird if the Dallas Cowboys, even being a Washington fan, seeing as though I'm from the DMV area, born and raised, I would feel kind of weird if Dallas felt that they needed. They needed to jumpstart a rebuild, especially seeing as though they just won the division this year. So in that on that side, I understand. I understand completely why you would be okay and understand bringing back Mike McCarthy. But on the other side, and this side is a little more complicated. I talk about this a lot on the podcast. It is expectations. And there are different expectations for different teams. The expectations for the 49ers, for the Ravens, going into the season, or let's say halfway through the season, is much different than someone like Washington or someone like uh, the Carolina Panthers. Those expectations are different because you look at the level of competition that your team plays you look at the level of fight that your team has you look at the level of talent that your team has and you start to assess okay where are we in the talent scale and sometimes you're at the bottom of the scale sometimes you're at the top all that goes into building expectations and ultimately sometimes changing expectations The biggest reason why I said that it was head scratching that they brought back Mike McCarthy is because I listen to Jerry Jones. I hear what Jerry Jones says. 
And this move directly contradicts almost everything that Jerry Jones says. Jerry Jones is undoubtedly the most famous owner probably in sports because of how visible he is, because of how visible he makes himself, because he is the owner of the quote unquote America's team that pretty much makes him the most popular owner in sports. I challenge you to name me another owner that is more recognizable than Jerry Jones. And Jerry Jones being the most recognizable owner, being the quote-unquote face of Dallas, being as boisterous as he is, seeing as though he goes on a new or radio show weekly. Jerry Jones has had a very consistent stance to the state of the Cowboys, to where he wants the Cowboys to be, to his goal for his team, the thing that he owns. Remember, I, I started that, I started this episode talking about ownership. Jerry Jones has been very consistent that being the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, the expectation is championships. He wants championships. And he feels that if his team does not put themselves in the ring for a championship, then the season is a failure. Then he, he quote unquote, can't sleep at night. <laughs> that statement alone, which, by the, might I add, has been very consistent with Jerry Jones. That statement puts an uber amount of expectations on the Dallas Cowboys because you're the owner. The owner is saying this. This is what the owner wants. And ultimately, the owner is the one that pays the bills. So I listened to that. And on top of listening to that, I know what the expectations is in Dallas. There's a reason why. Stephen A. Smith is so famous for his Dallas Cowboys reactions. It's a, it's a, there's no reason why when, or there's, there's a reason why every year when the, the total value of teams come out, cause it's a yearly thing, how the Dallas Cowboys is number one. Usually when we talk about American sports, there's a reason for that. So the, I understand the expectations because they have been told to us on several occasions by the owner. You see, you can't come in here and expect to make grandioso changes to my podcast because you don't have ownership. You don't own this. You can make suggestions, but at the end of the day, because I'm the owner, I'm the one that has the say-so in what happens and what doesn't happen. Same thing with Jerry Jones. I can't expect someone to come and tell Jerry Jones how to run the Dallas Cowboys because he's the owner. 
So let me get back on track because I feel like I'm kind of weighing off. <laughs> we talked about Mike McCarthy being one of the best regular season coaches in football, at least currently coaching. And we talked about the success that Dallas has seen with Mike McCarthy these last, what, three years? They made the playoffs all three years. But I listened to Jerry Jones. And Jerry Jones says that it's championship or bust in Dallas. It's not regular season or bust. It's not have an incredible regular season, play better than anyone would expect in the regular season, have an MVP candidate in the regular season, or bust. It's championships or bust. And also, what we've seen from Mike McCarthy is he's one of the best regular season coaches that's currently coaching. He's won 61% of his games. He also has a very underwhelming postseason record he's not that good with the post in the postseason in fact he's had Aaron Rodgers majority of his career and shouts out to Marcus uh the host of the goat talk podcast he also has another podcast uh I totally in fact I'm not going to disrespect Marcus like that uh I think it's protect our women hoopers podcast or something like that but he had a very good comparison about Josh Allen being Aaron Rodgers. And to a certain extent, I can kind of see it. But in that, Mike McCarthy was his coach. And there gets to a point where your success or lack of success with the surrounding pieces start to get put into question. How is it that you've had somebody that is widely considered one of the most talented quarterbacks to ever put on a pair of cleats? Yet and still, that quarterback has only been to one Super Bowl, not just one. He's only been to one. He did win it, but he's only been to one. And on top of that, we talk about Mike McCarthy in these last three years. Well, these last three years, they have not even made it to the to the to the conference final or conference championship. In fact, I don't think they've made it to the last time they made it to the conference championship. Stephen A. Smith so eloquently said it. They have. And when I say they, I mean, Dallas, they it, it, it Google wasn't a thing. Google. So. Jerry Jones says that championships are the expectation in Dallas and rightfully so. Yet and still, the head coach that you have pretty much vouched for and brought back 
has not shown a championship pedigree outside of one year. Not just a championship pedigree. He hasn't shown a playoff pedigree. He, the, the saying is, you can lead them to water, but you can't make them drink. Well, for Mike McCarthy, you can lead them to the playoffs, but you can't help them win games. You see, the, the, the famous, the famous uh, critiques about Mike McCarthy is what? Clock management. Game preparation. And ultimately, he can't get you over the hump in the playoffs. And when I say <laughs> that those critiques have followed Mike McCarthy majority, if not all of his career. So when I say it's head scratching, understand Jerry Jones' actions contradict his words. Because if your actions say that it's championship or bust in Dallas, if your actions say that the only expectation in Dallas is to compete for a championship, if your expectations say all you care about are championships, then your actions would never endorse Mike McCarthy because Mike McCarthy has never shown that championship pedigree outside of one year. You look at this season. This was the year. The usuals even though they're still in the playoffs, but the usuals were down. We don't know what the hell's going went on with the Eagles. The Kansas City Chiefs are struggling. Buffalo Bills, they were struggling majority of the year. In the in the NFC, I mean, it was the 49ers and outside of that, it was a a, a crapshoot. So this was the year. Dallas, everything about Dallas spelt at least conference or at least NFC championship. You had one of the best offenses in the regular season. You had one of the best defenses in the regular season. Dak Prescott, for majority of the year, was playing at an MVP level. CeeDee Lamb emerged as one of, if not the best wide receivers in the league this year. You still had Michael Parsons. You still had uh, Demarcus Lawrence. You still had uh, Deron Bland. You still had Stephon Gilmore. Dallas, I think, won 13 games this year. Everything was lining up for Dallas to at least compete for an NFC championship. And if you compete for an NFC championship, nine times out of ten, that means you're a Super Bowl caliber team. When I look at all the teams remaining, outside of maybe one or two, I don't see any team that couldn't win an, in, uh, a Super Bowl outside of maybe one or two. Dallas was in that ring. But what happened? 
I'm not just talking about the loss. I talked about that ad nauseum last episode. What happened was all those critiques, all those skepticisms, all those issues that followed Mike McCarthy majority of his career reared its ugly head in the playoffs this year. Again, might I add. Dallas looks so unprepared against the Green Bay Packers, both offensively and defensively. Dak Prescott decided to have his worst game of the year in the playoffs. The defense looks shell-shocked. They look, they, Michael Parsons looked, I didn't remember, he was on the team. All those criticisms reared his ugly head in the playoffs. So when Jerry Jones says, all I care about is Super Bowls. Well, the head coach that you have has proven at this point that he doesn't know how to win Super Bowls. Because trust me, I'm not taking away from that one Super Bowl that he has with Aaron Rodgers, but I'm also saying, how the hell do you only have one Super Bowl and you had Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> Mike McCarthy is an example of something else, but I'm not going to go there. I don't I don't I'm, I don't want to take this this episode left quick. But Mike McCarthy continuing to get an opportunity in Dallas is an example of something. If you know what it is, you know what it is. But what I'm saying is this. Before I move on. Mike McCarthy has shown and proven. That if you want. Success. In the regular season, he's your guy. And for some teams, that is acceptable. Some teams would love to have a 10-11 win season. Some teams haven't seen a 10-11 win season in, in decades. So if that is your goal, then Mike McCarthy is your guy. But if it's not, if your goal is championships, like Jerry Jones continues to reiterate, this retaining Mike McCarthy, especially when, and I talked about this an episode or two ago, when the free the coaching free agency market is booming right now. You have two coaches. Just uh, multiple, but at least two coaches, three coaches that you know can win. And that's Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, and Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh just won a, a national championship. He also took the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Pete Carroll has has multiple National championships at USC. He also has two Super Bowl appearances, one win with Seattle. And we know about Bill Belichick <laughs> and his reign. And and that's 
that's also what's so head scratching. This is this is a very rare time for football right now. This is a very rare time in terms of coaching free agency because you're never going to get three names this big, this this noteworthy on the market at the same time. And all three of them have expressed interest in being a head coach continuing this year. So the fact that you think Mike McCarthy gives you a better opportunity to win a Super Bowl than someone like Bill Belichick, than someone like Pete Carroll, than someone like Jim Harbaugh, than someone like Raheem Morse is interesting to me. Because I've had my critiques about Bill Belichick. I've had my critiques about Steve, uh, Pete Carroll. But one thing that I also continue to reiterate about both Steve Carroll, or Pete Carroll, I'm sorry, and Bill Belichick is, you can feel how you feel. They have proven that they know how to win. And Mike McCarthy has proven that he knows how to win in the regular season. But when it gets to the playoffs, it gets kind of dicey. <laughs> so again, in one hand, I understand why you keep Mike McCarthy, especially after see what happened last year. But on the other hand, it's kind of head-scratching when I hear what Jerry Jones continues to say. And then I see not just this year, but what how the last three seasons with Mike McCarthy has ended with Dallas. It's kind of head-scratching, to say the least. Speaking of head-scratching, we are finally here. We are at the divisional round. That's when the big boys come to play. That's when the one seeds finally get their shot to play. And each game is interesting. There's not a game here that I don't see a lopsided advantage for one team or the other. Yes, I see advantages, but I don't there's not one series that is lopsided. And I think that above anything is what the NFL wants. The NFL wants competitive uh equalcy, you know? And looking at every single series of this divisional round uh is it is it it's it's I wouldn't be shocked. I'll say that. I wouldn't be shocked if any team won. Now again, we are I'm going to break down every or I'm going to give my prediction for every game, but I wouldn't be shocked if of I'm wrong on some of these opinions. I'm almost sure I'll probably be wrong about some of these, but we'll see. The first game obviously I want to talk about and the first game that's happening today actually is the number 1 seed Ravens going against the Houston Texans. I think what has been so interesting and so fascinating and so refreshing about watching the Houston Texans is, and I've said this majority of the season, they're not supposed to be here. This is year like two in a five-year rebuild plan, maybe even year one. 
You get a new coach in D'Amico Ryans. You get a new quarterback in C.J. Stroud. You get a new defensive anchor in Will Anderson. They're not supposed to be in the divisional, especially after seeing what happened last year and seeing how the team looked last year. They're not supposed to be in the divisional round of the playoffs. Yet and still they're here, which is one reason why I have fought tooth and nail majority of this year saying that C.J. Stroud is a top at least 10 to 5 to 3 quarterback. Because that's the only way you can explain this outside of I do think D'Amico Ryans is coach of the year. But that's the only way that you can explain this. You have picked the right pieces for the right positions. And... Watching them dismantle the Cleveland Browns opened my eyes to, oh, it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter who C.J. Stroud's going against. It doesn't matter what what the game plan is against C.J. Stroud. He is going to perform. Going into the, the Cleveland Browns game, the wild card game, the thing to do was play man because CJ Stroud, I think is ranked 26th going against man coverage compared to zone zone. He's like number one and the Cleveland Browns, just like me, they knew that. And CJ Stroud still was masterful. I think he threw what? 274 yards, something like that. The, the the Houston Texans aren't supposed to be this good. But we're here. And they're going against the number one team in the AFC and the Baltimore Ravens. All week, the question has been who needs to win in the divisional round more. And all week, Lamar Jackson's name has come up. And understandably so, I agree to a certain extent that Lamar Jackson needs to win this game. I hear a lot of people talk about all week about Lamar Jackson's playoff record being one in three, I believe. And they're absolutely right. Lamar Jackson has, for lack of a better term, underachieved in the postseason Lamar Jackson hasn't had the best I mean let me see in the postseason I'm gonna I'm making sure it's one in three because I don't want to I don't want to say it's one in three uh I don't want to say it's one in three I'm almost a hundred percent sure uh but yes one in three And rightfully so. Lamar Jackson is about to win his second MVP. Lamar Jackson was clearly the best quarterback this year. So rightfully so, he deserves the MVP. And this Ravens team, in my opinion, is the best Ravens team that Lamar Jackson has played with. 
when we talk about offensive weapons, when we talk about the defense. This is the best team that Lamar Jackson has had going into the playoffs. And I think that is kind of where the where I have an issue with a little bit. My issue is majority of the week, and I, and shouts out to people like I think Kimberly Martin kind of pushed back on it. RG three kind of pushed back on it when we talk about the ESPN. Oh, and Colin Cowherd pushed back on it. People talk about Lamar Jackson's one and three record, but nobody wants to I'm not gonna say nobody but those same people very rarely express how things are different from those teams to this team and Lamar Jackson different from that Lamar to this Lamar Lamar Jackson played better this year than he did his MVP year maybe yeah maybe the stats didn't say that but Lamar Jackson this was his best season by far in his career, in my opinion. And I understand that a record follows you, but let's let's be honest about the current. That one in three Lamar, even though it is on his belt, he has improved mightily. This Ravens team is much different. When we talk about Zay Flowers, when we talk about Odell Beckham Jr., when we talk about Isaiah Likely, this is also not having his number one target in Mark Andrews, who will not be playing for this game. When you talk about on the defensive side, Roquan Smith, uh, Kyle Hamilton, Jadavion Clowney, this team is different. And... I think because of that, I have the Baltimore Ravens winning this game. The thing that gives me pause, obviously, is how good the Texans looked against a stout defense, against a top-rated defense in the Cleveland Browns. And how they picked them apart. And the fact that, you know, Marlon Humphreys isn't playing. And like I said, Mark Andrews isn't playing. But I think the the positive, if there is a positive, obviously, because I don't I don't wish injury upon injury anybody, but the positive of Mark Andrews not playing majority this year is Lamar Jackson has learned how to use other pieces and other other resources outside of his safety blanket we talk about the lot here every quarterback has a safety blanket whether we're talking about Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey Stefan Diggs and or no Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs whether we talk about hell Mason Rudolph because we saw that when he was playing Mason Rudolph and George Pickens every quarterback has a safety safety blanket which is obviously a player and Lamar Jackson has not had his majority of the season in Mark Andrews, so he's learned how to use Isaiah Likely. He's learned how to use Zay Flowers. He's learned how to use Odell Beckham Jr. He's learned how to use Nelson Aguilar a lot more. But 
That's the only thing that gives me pause, obviously, is I saw how good the Texans looked against a defense that they did not expect to beat. I understand that, and, and I think that that helped a lot, don't get me wrong, especially when we talk about momentum. Two straight pick sixes was, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing you can do about that, except not throw them if you're Joe Flacco. But I think that the Baltimore Ravens is the most complete team in this league right now that's still here and that's even over anyone in the nfc that doesn't mean that they're ultimately going to win the super bowl but i do think that they have to win this game because everything that i just said we're talking about lamar jackson his playoff record that's all going to go out the window and we're going to have to have a serious conversation about lamar jackson if he does not win this game in fact the perfect if he doesn't win the game I'm not saying he has to win a Super Bowl. I think he has to make it. I do agree with Stephen A. Smith saying, I think he has to make a Super Bowl. Because if he doesn't even make it, I'm not even going to put that into the universe until it needs to be put, if it does need to be put. So what I say is, for this game, I have the Baltimore Ravens beating the Houston Texans. The only thing that concerns me, the only thing that I question is rust. I mean, Lamar Jackson hasn't played for a full, what, three weeks. So, but on top of that, outside of what they look like against um, <laughs> against the Cleveland Browns, Houston doesn't have the most stingiest defense, I'll say that. And on top of that, Houston keeps getting hit with wide receiver injuries. Noah Brown isn't playing now. So that's Noah Brown and Tank Dell not playing. That's kind of huge. Now, Nico Collins uh, is still pretty good. But, you know, oh, my goodness. I have uh, I have the Ravens beating the Houston Texans. I don't think it's going to be a blowout or anything. I'll say uh, I got Ravens 31, Houston 14. Because one thing about the Ravens' defense is they don't give up a lot of points. So, Ravens 31, Houston 14. The next game, and the, 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 arguably the most intriguing game of the divisional round is the Bills-Chiefs. I don't know, for all my YouTube listeners, I'm going to find out how to do that whole link thing, hyperlink in the middle of the video. Because I'm going to put a hyperlink somewhere on the screen that's back when I think it was the the game, the overtime game, the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills and the 13 seconds scoring and the coin flip and ultimately the Chiefs won. After that game, I came on here and said that we have the next Peyton Manning Tom Brady rivalry, and that was Josh Allen and, and Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying that Patrick or Tom, uh, Josh Allen is the second best quarterback in the league. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that their rivalry has to extend to Super Bowls. I'm not saying that at all. But if you look at the history of the Peyton Manning-Tom Brady rivalry, they saw each other multiple times in the playoffs, and they saw each other multiple times in the regular season, and it was always a battle. And I think nine times out of ten, 
whoever won that playoff match between Peyton Manning and Tom Brady ultimately won the Super Bowl. Of course, some were when when Peyton Manning was in New England. I mean, no, uh, was in Indianapolis. Some of it was when he was in Denver. But still, those were legendary matchups. You have two legendary quarterbacks in Peyton and Tom. People want to see legendary quarterbacks go at it. And what we have seen in this competitive rivalry between Josh Allen and and Patrick Mahomes is it never disappoints. Now, obviously, Josh Allen has the advantage over Patrick Mahomes in the regular season, but in the playoffs, Patrick Mahomes has the advantage. I don't I don't think Patrick Mahomes has lost to Josh Allen in the playoffs. Now there are a couple factors that are much different in this equation this season than it has been in previous. Obviously this season this is probably the weakest offensive team that the Pat, that the Kansas City Chiefs have right now and have had in this series. We think that a number one option has emerged for Patrick Mahomes and that is Rashid Rashid Rice. But it's still Travis Kelsey, it's still Patrick Mahomes, it's still Andy Reid and his play calling, but Outside of that, there are still a lot of question marks and a lot of unknowns with the wide receiver core. And even if Rasheed Rice is a number one, he's not like a bona fide number one. Like he's not if he's a number one, he he's in like a safety blanket. Let's say that. But I also will say that this is probably the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has ever had. Like this is a top tier at least top three defense in this in the league. And on top of that, and, and probably the biggest factor is this is the first time in their playoff rivalry that Mahomes will not be at home. You have to go on the road against Josh Allen and play in Buffalo outside of Kansas City. Both very hostile environments but obviously you want to be on the side of the fans outside of the visiting team and Josh Allen has been on the visiting side all of the 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 series here are the things that concern me I I will first say that I think this is going to be a good game but here are some of the things that concern me for both teams let me start with Kansas City since I've kind of been leaning towards the majority of this open. <laughs> Kansas City looked really good against Denver. Now, obviously, we know it was like the fourth coldest game in NFL history. The wind chill made it feel like negative 30. Every player that was in that game laments of how cold it was, obviously. But they did they still didn't look like the Kansas City Chiefs that I'm not going to say we remember but that we can hang our hat on saying oh that is a championship caliber team 
Now, that could be because of the issues that Kansas City has had all year, or that could be because of the weather, or it could be because you were playing against the Dolphins. And the Dolphins, well, they were they were okay defensively. They were terrible offensively. And I'll say this. The Kansas City Chiefs that played Miami a week ago can for sure beat the Buffalo Bills. But the Kansas City Chiefs that we've seen all season has no shot, in my opinion. Especially if Buffalo plays up to their caliber. I think people, when when you hear doesn't have a number one receiver, doesn't have this, doesn't have that, I think there's a collective eye roll. Because like, God damn, like how many times are you going to say this? Or, you know, we've heard this all season. Or the, the, the famous one I see, Lamar Jackson hasn't played with wide receivers his majority, majority of his career. Yeah, that might be why he's one in three in the playoffs. And I understand. I understand that. But, again, having a number one option is important. Vital, even. And not having it is the difference between being a Super Bowl champion or Super Bowl caliber team and just being a okay playoff team. But those are really the only negative. Oh, and of course, I am interested to see. We we understand that the Kansas City Chiefs can play in cold, and they the game that's this week is not even close to the game, at least temperature-wise, that was against the Dolphins. So I do think that's in their favor. But I am very interested to see. Again, Lamar, Patrick Mahomes, I think, has like 12 playoff wins or something like that. Um, but I'm very interested to see how he plays on the road in the playoffs. Now, I don't think that he's going to just fall off a cliff. Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes. But I am interested to see the team around him when they're not used. You know, they have to go on the road. They have to be in a hotel instead of at their house. You know, they have to deal with the elements of a hostile crowd because people know how rowdy and how hostile it can get in Buffalo with that crowd. So I'm interested to see how they do it. But for the Buffalo Bills, the team that these are Pat, these are uh, Josh Allen's words, not mine. The team that has been in a playoff ser- season feel since like week 10 because they've had to win pretty much five straight just to get here. Well, six straight if you if you include the Pittsburgh Steelers last year, last week. In that in that time, they have been incredible, and I'm saying that as the 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 one thing, especially offensively outside. Not one thing, not the one thing. One thing <laughs> that the Buffalo Bills have struggled with offensively is balance. It's felt like they leaned so heavily on 
the talents of Josh Allen and Josh Allen, please get us a victory. Josh Allen, get us up out of here with a win that it has, for lack of a better term, when he doesn't play well, they because they lean on him so much, they have not had a number two punch. They haven't focused on the run game. They haven't focused on developing that part of the game or that part of the team. So if Josh Allen doesn't play well, they don't have a, 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 another leg to lean on. Well, this season, well, in that six-game now, now uh, win streak, they have been completely balanced. James Cook has been incredible, and he's been vital for this team. And Josh Allen hasn't had to do much. And even and when you have a quarterback as talented and as gifted as Josh Allen, not having to be the savior, that is just a a <laughs> that's just a positive. Now. There is still that major issue, and that is, of course, Josh Allen and some of his decision decision makings and tough tough moments. I I will applaud him for not throwing an interception against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but I do think a lot of that was just how poor the Pittsburgh Steelers looked on defense, and and this is something that we're not used to. We're not used to seeing the Pittsburgh Steelers just be that off kilter defensively, whether we're talking about missing tackles or missing assignments that are arguably could have been because of uh, TJ Watt not being there, but still, but Josh to give Josh Allen credit, he did not throw an interception in that game, but he is prone to throw interceptions. And the last thing that you can do, especially in the playoffs, especially against, even though we talk about how, wobbly the offense has been for Kansas City you still have inarguably the best quarterback in the league right now you do not want to give him more opportunities and that's the thing that the Pittsburgh Steelers did the Pittsburgh Steelers turned kept turning the ball over and kept missing fourth down completions and it gave the Bills short fields well, you give Josh Allen a short field and you're already down T.J. Watt, you're going to lose. So who do I have winning this game? I think that the injuries that Buffalo continues to pile up on the defensive side of the ball is, is going to be problematic. And this might be the first game in this playoffs. Obviously, there's only two games, but in this playoffs where Kansas City has to lean on their defense. Their defense with Chris Jones and Snead, they have to be good. Because what we do know is you're not playing against the same Buffalo Bills team that has been complete, com, completely in balance. You're playing a more balanced team. The defense has, even though the defense does have a lot of missing pieces, it did play extremely well. A week ago, now, yes, I understand the Steelers are not the Kansas City Chiefs, but still. I think that this game is going to be, I think if it's surprisingly, well, because Gabe Davis isn't playing either. But Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid, the two tight ends for the Bills, have been incredible uh, or were really good last week, too. Um... 
I think because of the injury to Gabe Davis, I think a shootout benefits Kansas City more than it benefits the Bills, shockingly, even though that I think the Kansas City Chiefs defense is much better than the Bills. But if you're in a sh- uh, I'm going to go with uh, – you know, it's hard for me to get out of my head how the Kansas City Chiefs have looked all season um, compared to – the Bills haven't looked that good either, but mm. – Mm. Because of the defense, I'm going to go with Kansas City. I think Kansas City's defense is going to play a, a huge part. And the fact that the Buffalo Bills are missing a lot of their defensive players and Gabe Davis isn't playing. I am a, I'm going to go with Kansas City, but I think that it's going to be a really good game. And I think that if there is a game that I'm wrong about, I think this could be the one. I wouldn't be shocked if Buffalo wins out, honestly, seeing as though they're at home. But I think that uh, I got Kansas City winning this one. So we'll see. Then you got a team that's fighting fighting history compared to a team that's fighting um, just fighting to stay alive. And let me let me explain that because I understand that everyone is fighting to stay alive in the playoffs. It's very hard for fans. It's very hard for us to accept what we're seeing out of the Detroit Lions. And it's very hard for us to accept that because of the extensive history of how bad they've been. Even with people like Barry Sanders, even with people like Matthew Stafford, even with people like my favorite player, Calvin Johnson, They have been historically bad for pretty much their entire tenure. It's, you know, it's a problem (laughs) when we say that their Super Bowl is a Thanksgiving game. And it's been like that pretty much since their inception. But when I say that they're fighting history, because this team is not those teams. This team, I talked about this last episode, and I've talked about this a lot this season. This team is a Super Bowl caliber team. I know that's crazy because they're fighting history. That's crazy to to express when discussing the Detroit Lions, but that is true. Dan Campbell has built a Super Bowl caliber program. Well, not program, Super Bowl caliber team. And... I think this game, I'd probably be more shocked if the Buccaneers win because I know how good this uh, Detroit Lions team is. If the Buff, and I'm not saying that the Bucks can't win, I'm not saying that, but I would probably be more shocked if the Bucks beat the Lions than I would be if any other team won. And that's even the team we're going to talk about after, or the game we're going to talk about after this. I will give credit where credit is due. I talked about this shortly last episode, but I am giving credit to Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has been incredible this season, especially pretty much playing for his 
NFL career. Like at this point, if 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 it didn't work here, because I mean it didn't work in Cleveland, it didn't work in Carolina, it didn't work with the Rams. If it didn't work here, I don't know where it would have worked. Especially being a a starting quarterback. So it just felt like, especially going into the season, that he was playing for his career. And he has been incredible to give him credit. And on top of that, uh, Todd Bowles has been incredible as a coach. This defense has been much better than I thought they would be going into the season, seeing as though they have a lot of older names. So I'm giving credit where credit is due. I do think that the Buffalo or the the Buccaneers deserve to be here. They beat the Eagles handedly, and they were very good defensively. When we talk about Whitfield, when we talk about uh, Dean, when we talk about Villavea, when we t- they they have a squad on the defensive side of the ball. But I'm looking at this Lions team. I'm looking at. Jared Goff, I'm looking, and, and again, Jared Goff can definitely lose them a game, but Jared Goff is also a quarterback that has played in a Super Bowl. I'm looking at Jameer Gibbs. I'm looking at David Montgomery. I'm looking at Josh Reynolds. I'm looking at Amara St. Brown. That is a squad. I'm looking at Laporta. I'm looking at Aiden Hutchinson. This team is tough. This Lions team is a Super Bowl caliber team. I don't I think that the Buc- the Buccaneers are good. I think that the Buccaneers deserve to be here. I don't I don't see them as a Super Bowl caliber team. I see the Detroit Lions as a Super Bowl caliber team. And that is kind of where the analysis stops and ends. I think I, I will say again that Jared Goff can lose them a game, especially because Jared Goff does struggle with pressure. I think he's thrown seven interceptions when being blitzed. And we do know a Todd Bowles team and this Buccaneers team is aggressive all the time. They always blitz like they're blitzing 90 percent of the time. So that could cause some issues for Jared Goff and his team. Um, So I could see a path where they win, obviously, but it has to be. I think that there has to be more help from Jared Goff and this offense turning the ball over and and sputtering at the worst times compared to them just flat out out beating or out coaching the Lions. I don't I don't see that at all. But again, we are talking. Jared Goff, and that's the only advantage I kind of see. Jared Goff does struggle against the Blitz and Buccaneers. I don't think they Blitz. I don't think there's another team in this playoffs that Blitz more than the Buccaneers. So I could see it. I could see it, but I would be shocked. I have the I have the Lions winning this game and kind of handedly too, especially. Mm, because I think the Rams are better than the Bucs. I, I, I got the Lions beating this team. I got the Lions winning. And the last game that we're going to discuss is the most storybooked franchise or f- matchup 
of this playoffs remaining. And that is the Green Bay Packers going against the 49ers. Both these teams have a litany of history. I think they've seen each other in the playoffs, I think, 10 times or something like that. You have a very young, offensive-minded coach in Matt LaFleur going against a young, offensive-minded coach in... uh, Oh, my gosh. Why did his name just... Oh, my gosh. His name just skipped, just just escaped my mind. Kyle Shanahan. I'm sorry. I am sorry. I am sorry. Both of them have history being on Washington staff. If I didn't watch the Green Bay Packers-Cowboys game, I would think that there is no way in heaven or hell that the 49ers or the Green Bay Packers could beat the 49ers. I, there was there hell no, nah. but I did see that game, and I've also seen how since like week eleven, Jordan Love has been statistically the best quarterback in football. Jordan Love. Now, I don't know why Dallas played off coverage or played so far back on the wide receivers that Green Bay has. I don't know why they played that soft of coverage, but I don't expect that from Fred Warner and this 49ers team. You're playing a 49ers team that is, I think, the second most complete team in football. The first, obviously, like I said, was the Ravens. And the only reason why I don't give them a nod over the Ravens is because the Ravens have Lamar Jackson. And even though Brock Purdy did have a pretty good year, he's not Lamar Jackson. Um, I think that this, if this turns into a shootout, that is an advantage for Green Bay. I think you're going to have to force Brock Purdy to beat you if it's a ter- if it turns into a shootout. Now you do have an electric offense in Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuels and George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and Kyle Juszczyk, but if it's a shootout, that means that the defenses ain't playing worth a damn. <laughs> and I don't see that for the 49ers. I can see that for the Green Bay Packers, but I have the I have the 49ers winning. I just think that they're a better overall team. I think that I, I will give credit to where credit is due with the Green Bay Packers. They did handedly beat uh, Dallas. But when we talk about in the playoffs, you you need more than a a, a heavyweight punch. And Aaron Jones, don't get me wrong, is a great option for this Green Bay Packers team as far as not having Jordan Love to do a lot. But it's also going to be tough going against this 49ers defense, whether that's Chase Young, whether that's Nick Bosa, whether that's Dre Greenlaw, whether that's Eric Armstead. It's going to be tough running on that. So I'm, I'm going to go with the 49ers. I think the 49ers are just a better team. But I will say this. If it turns into a shootout, that definitely benefits Green Bay. And I do think that, and I will give credit to Green Bay and some of their ele- like very – 
beautiful scheme, offensive schemes that they ran against Dallas. I don't know if that's going to work against the 49ers, but you are playing against another very, very creative coach offensively. So those are my predictions. Those that's who I think. So if we're if we're thinking about it, I have in the conference championship, I have the Ravens going against the Chiefs and I have the 49ers going against the Lions. Dang, imagine that. Yo, the Lions going to the to conference championship. But we'll see. So let's go over to basketball a little bit. I'm only talking about one thing. I'm talking about Pascal Siakam going to the going to the Pacers. He was traded in a three-team deal, I believe it was. The Pacers obviously get Pascal. Toronto gets Bruce Brown, uh, Jordan Nawaya, Nawaya, Nawara. I know I said your name wrong, bro. I apologize. Uh, Kara Lewis and three first-round picks. And I think Brooklyn gets cash consideration. Um, I think this is a huge move for the Pacers. I think when we talk about the Pacers, one thing that we say is they need another per, another offensive weapon because Tyrese Halliburton has been incredible. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I mean, he leads the league in assist, but they don't. And Buddy Hield has been good too as far as shooting the ball, but. They don't really have another player that can consistently put the ball on the ground and get a bucket. Pascal Siakam can do that. And a lot of the things that was kind of holding up the trade talks as far as maybe why Golden State didn't pull the trigger, maybe why someone like Philadelphia didn't pull the triggers, because Pascal was looking for a max deal, a super max deal. And it looks like the Pacers were willing to pay that. Uh I I've talked about this on numerous occasions how I thought that Pascal Siakam was the championship piece that was missing for Golden State this year. Obviously it didn't happen and as you're looking at this Golden State now, they look so far from being a championship team. It's kind of crazy. I mean, they're 18 and 22, I think. Um so I do think that Pascal would have helped, but hey, they got the Pacers and this, I don't think that this puts them over top as, as far as championship caliber, but I do think that this puts them in discussion as a high playoff seed. I do think that that is that, you know, Pascal Siakam is that good. And I think that that's going to be, that he's going to be paramount, especially when Tyrese Halliburton comes back, seeing though he is out with injury. That's going to be big. And... Yeah, I expect Bruce Brown to probably get bought out. And I think that there's a very good shot that he finds his way back in Denver. Um, And if he does go back to Denver, that changes everything for the playoff race because we know how good Bruce Brown is. I don't don't see him staying in Toronto because Toronto is trying to lose. Toronto is in that rebuild we talked about in the beginning. Toronto is in a rebuild, and they're not trying to win – much at all and Bruce Brown who is an expiring contract uh Bruce Brown is too good of a player to 
be on a a, a rebuilding team because he's going to get you wins that you probably don't want. So I can see them trying to buy out Bruce Brown and maybe train him again. I don't know. I just don't see him on this Toronto Raptors team. So, but I do think it's a good trade for uh, the Pacers. I do think that it definitely hurts someone like the Golden State Warriors. Like I said, they need to make a, a trade drastically. And I thought Pascal would be it. But, hey, obviously they like John Dingamingas so much that he is, uh, yeah. I do, I do think uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna leave that. Shouts out to the Pacers. Lastly, before we go, got the unpopular topic of the day. And this is the first non-sports topic of 2024. And I also realized that most of my non-sports topics has been either music or movies because I don't I don't really care about gossip. It's none of my business. Neither is other people's relationships. It's none of my business. Um, but. I was debating between whether talking about this topic or most deaf <laughs> making comments about Drake. Um, I'm going to refrain from that because I think that that's kind of like low hanging fruit. The topic that I want to discuss is. As a consumer, what do I prefer and what and I would actually like to hear from the people listening, what do you guys prefer? Do you prefer your favorite artists to drop year after year after year after year? Uh, or, you know, like like Drake, drop multiple albums in a span of two, three years? Or do you like your artists to be like Kendrick or to a lesser extent like J. Cole? where you drop a classic or drop an album and then you you go ghost for three, four, five years and then drop another album. I think 2022 is probably the first year where I truly felt the oversaturation of music. And I truly had that feeling that there is too much music being dropped. Now, I'm a person that loves music. I've said this even on a sports podcast. I've said if I had to give up watching sports for the rest of my life or listening to music for the rest of my life, it's sports easy. I don't think I can ever give up listening to music for the rest of my life. And I'm a person that has a very, I'm not going to say eclectic. I just listen to a lot of different things. I listen to rap. I listen to R&B. I listen to gospel. Uh, I, I just listen to, if it's good music, it's good music. And I was never that person that says that there's too much music. I know that that feeling has been around before 2022 but I was never that person because I'm always under the impression good music is going to find its target good music is going to find you and if it's not good it's not going to find you that's that's always what I've lived with and that's always what I how I've gone about it so if I don't hear something and I'm not saying it's not 
good or I'm not saying it's trash. I'm not saying it's not good to everyone. If I don't hear it, that means I didn't need to hear it. Like if it doesn't, and I'm not saying that I'm the gatekeeper of music or whatever, but for me, if I don't hear it, I didn't need to hear it. But in 2022 was the first year I was like, damn, there's like a lot of music coming like week. And it's still like that to a certain extent, week after week after week after week, new album after new album. And then I was thinking about myself and selfishly. I can appreciate both approaches. And selfishly, I probably appreciate the, let's just call it the Drake approach in some instances. And that obviously is drop multiple albums in the span of two to three years, maybe four years, compared to the Kendrick, let's call it, uh, way of going about it and that's dropping an album going ghost for five years and then dropping another album I think what determines that for me is the quality and I think where people get upset with Drake it's not the fact that he drops bad music. I don't think Drake drops bad music at all. And I think if anyone said that Drake drops bad music, obviously that's their opinion. And I'm not here to try to change your mind. I'm not here saying you're wrong. Your opinion is your opinion. And I respect your opinion. I just disagree. I don't think Drake drops bad music. What Drake does, though, is... Drake drops good albums. I think Her Loss was good. I think For All the Dogs was good. I, I've i been on record in saying I completely hated uh, Honestly Nevermind outside of like two or three songs. But consistently, Drake drops good music. But I think the issue when we talk about Drake and when we talk about people, the caliber of Drake, which there isn't much, there's three people that are on Drake's level as far as, as as far as rap. Drake is a great artist. Drake is a great artist. Drake has dropped great albums you can debate with somebody else if it's a classic or not but take care was a great album nothing was the same was a great album and we've heard great so that's i think that's why people get so upset when now they hear good because good is not great I don't I really enjoy for all the dogs. It wasn't great. 
But then you look at Kendrick. People can feel how they feel about Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, and you're right for feeling how you feel. I'm not here to change your mind. I'm not here saying you're wrong. You have your opinion. In your opinion, I respect your opinion. But I think that Kendrick has not dropped an album that wasn't great. Everything that Kendrick has dropped is great. Which is why I think people, while you can be upset, because I was upset for him, like, bruh, Damn is a great album, bro. Where the hell is Kendrick Lamar? But then I get Mr. Morale and the Big Star. I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I get it. And then I look at his track record, Section 80. To me, great album or mixtape, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Good Kid, Mad City, classic, in my opinion. Damn, classic, in my opinion. To Pimp a Butterfly, classic for a lot of people I think great album and the fact of there's so much music that comes out today and I still to this day go to Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers I'm considering that a classic do I think it's better than uh, Good Kid Man City no but I do think that is a classic in my opinion so when I look at Drake And I look at Kendrick and to a lesser extent, J. Cole, because J. Cole isn't as bad as Kendrick as far as dropping and then <laughs> leaving the earth for five months, five years and then coming back and hear album. J. Cole isn't that bad, but J. Cole is kind of closer to Kendrick than he is to Drake. I think it's about quality. And I think that if you're constantly dropping albums, you know who's a perfect example of this? And I'm going to, oh, here's here's where the engagement comes. (laughs) Oh, boy. Here's where the engagement comes. And people are going to, I'm going to get so much hate. Oh, boy. Brittany, be ready to, uh, be ready to, to, observe the set comment section you know it was a perfect example of this to my opinion <laughs> oh boy here we go nba young boy is a perfect example of this again you can feel how you feel i'm not here disrespecting anybody i'm not here disrespecting anyone's opinion nba young boy <clears throat> doesn't make music that I like. There have been songs that I've liked, but I don't think there's ever been a whole album of NBA Youngboy that I like. Again, features, he's been good. Certain songs, like there there have been songs that I've liked. I'm not saying he hasn't liked any of the songs. But NBA Youngboy doesn't make music that I like that I can quote unquote appreciate and he continues to drop album after I think last year alone he dropped three albums I think I know for sure too but I think it was three 
that to me is like, oh, man. My opinion, just my opinion, I think that NBA Youngboy doesn't make doesn't make music that different differentiates from itself enough to drop as much as he drops. To me, that takes away. I, I can't. I can't get with that. I can't get with someone dropping, in my opinion, the same type of music time and time and time and time, multiple times in one year. It's like cool. I understand that people love Emmy a young boy, and for y'all, that is y'all lane, and y'all love that. Cool. That's not for me. And Drake. While I don't think he makes music that sounds exactly the same, he continues to make good albums. But people are looking for that great. And I think that's what differentiates him between Kendrick. Kendrick continues to drop great albums. Some would even consider consider classics like myself. It just take much longer. So Travis Scott does that too. I know a lot of people, for some reason, bash uh, Utopia. I'm not going to say for some reason. If you didn't like Utopia, you didn't like Utopia. But I think that's a great album. I am, and, and I think it's so great because I don't think, I know in my mind, I didn't think that there was ever, Travis Scott could ever top Rodeo or Travis Scott could ever top um, Astroworld. But I think that utopia is up there if not better than those because i and maybe it's recency bias because i keep listening to utopia but travis scott now i also understand that there was tragedy involved why he had to take a little break but i think it's about quality if you consider if you can consistently drop like a kendrick or not kendrick like drake and it's good music, then I get that. And, I, and I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. But I also would put you in that good, good music category. Like, I'll put you in that, oh, he doesn't make great albums, but he makes really good albums. Or you can be like Kendrick and drop, disappear, drop, and make great albums all the time. I think it's about quality for me. What is the quality of music? If your quality is good, I'd have no problem. You dropping multiple albums, two, three albums in two, three years, four years. I'm not, I have no problem in that. But it's just about the quality of music. Because I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for it, but I, I'm not, a, I can't, don't be NBA young boy in my opinion. And that's dropped multiple albums in the same year. And they all sound the same. And there you have it. Uh, that's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want an Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm trying to get as many subscribers as I can. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. It means so much. I drop pretty much daily, whether that's clips, full episodes. That's obviously Wednesday and Saturday. 
uh, reels pretty much daily. I drop multiple times. Uh, if you like the content, if you got this far, tell a friend, tell a friend. If they're not subscribed, hey, yo, you should subscribe. Also, not one fan is better than the other, in my opinion, and not one uh, way to get the unpopular podcast is better than the other so i understand that i have some people that just watch me on youtube and some people that just listen to the dsps i appreciate both of you so for the people that listen to just listen to me on the dsps please subscribe to whoever you're listening whether that's soundcloud apple music pandora wherever you get your podcast more than likely i'm there <laughs> wherever you're listening please subscribe it or follow it means a lot it, it truly truly does also Please follow the socials, follow Instagram, follow TikTok. I know I haven't been the best right now this month of responding, but that's because I'm doing something. Uh, I'm doing something on a personal level. So once this month is over, I'm going to get back to responding. But I do still post daily. I do still post on TikTok, on Instagram. So subscribe and if and that is the quickest way to get to me just keep it and people don't understand. if you keep it respectful i have no problem responding to you uh if you don't then don't expect a response that's all i'm saying uh but yeah i appreciate you guys until next time much love <laughs>